0: Welcome Temple family and friends, we're so glad to have you joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. This podcast aims to engage our faith community through thoughtful biblical discussions centered on God's word. Our goal is to explore scripture together to discover the wisdom it has for our lives. In this podcast, we'll be diving deep into God's truths and discussing how they impact our daily living. We're eager to unpack the riches of the Bible with you all, our extended church family. And now, here's Temple Talk. Welcome, Temple family and friends, to our first episode of Temple Talk. I'm Tuck Choate, your host, and joined as always by our executive pastor, Ben Holloway. It is
1: so exciting to be here and to do this and to finally do this. I think it's been something that's been on our heart as a church for a while. Um, But Tuck, until you stepped in and you really said, let me bear the weight of this and get us across the starting line, (laughs) uh, it's been something
0: that I'm excited to see and see what the Lord does through it. I am too. Um, so w- I know you're excited about this. As mm-hmm. we are kicking off this first episode, could you share your your vision? What would you like this podcast to look like?
1: Well, I think some of the things that we had talked about uh, in terms of what the Lord had put on our heart is some of the stuff that you had in that first episode zero. And so if you guys haven't listened to that, I think that's a good thing to start with, um, to go back and hear that because a deep, deep desire for us uh, is to give supplemental Information and dialogue, and maybe even perspective throughout your week as a resource that you can use to point back to the sermon that we had on Sunday, point back to other sermons that we may have had throughout the week, or even encourage through testimonies. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually, the desire is that it's a tool that the Lord uses to help each of us in the process of sanctification, of discipleship to look more like Christ. And so this is one of those things that I think the Lord will use to do that. Um.
0: So speaking of the, the Sunday sermon, uh, we just talked about revival and restoration for the Israelites from Nehemiah 8. For eight chapters now, the Israelites have been working and striving towards this revival and struggling along the way. Do you feel like Temple has been working towards a revival of our own, and if so... Are we getting close to it? <laughs> <laughs> is
1: there is there hope? Um, so I, we have to we have to just shine a little bit of light on context. Why are we going through Nehemiah? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is a man named Dr. Ewart leading us through this study? And so, Dr. Ewart is an intentional interim pastor. Uh, our senior pastor stepped down in October of last year. We brought Dr. Ewart in in uh, February of this year, and so. He has been guiding us through a process really that is restoration, um, that prayerfully points towards revival and sets us up to better understand who we are and what God's wanting to do through his church in Newburn, And so – That's why we're studying Nehemiah. And so when you ask me the question of – as we're learning as the Israelites work through revival and restoration, uh, are there parallels? Yes. Uh, (laughs) On purpose. Yes, intentionally. Because something that Dr. Ewart's doing is he's driving us towards this uh, self-assessment as to why we are where we are. And honestly, if any of us, if any church sat down and really – Walk through this process. I think every single one of us or every single church would come up with answers as to things that need to change and things that must change, things that need to be stopped or things that need to be began um, to work towards being a more Christ centered church. And so when I think about restoration and I think about them rebuilding the walls and I think about even in Haggai uh, that parallels that story, them rebuilding the temple as we are in that same process, rebuilding the temple ourselves, it continues to drive us to think through what is our role in the restoration of temple church. And I think the very back end of that is revival that we see in uh, the Old Testament through the, the different cities that, are, that, that turn to God um, or the, the Israelites whenever they make a choice to repent and we see revival. Uh, even in um, early church history in America, um, early American history, as we've seen revival take place, a lot of it often comes to a moment when a concentrated group of people Clothed and bathed in prayer, are led to an honest, spirit led repentance and recommitment. And the revival starts as an individual and then overflows into the community. And so, when to answer the question, are we close? Is there hope? Restoration. Yes, a lot of the really hard work has already been put in. Now we're adjusting and implementing, and then we have to be disciplined in continuing this process regularly, habitually, assessing how we're doing, why we are where we are, and if we need to start and stop. But then on the other side, as personal individuals, um, we need to continue to first seek for the Lord to humble us as individuals and ask for him to reveal anything that we need to repent from, any sin that we are putting uh, above him, any sin that we don't see rightly, we don't see as he sees, um, and allow him to fill us with this Holy Spirit so that we may see it rightly and then flee from it. And so when people do that, we will see revival. And so to answer, is there hope? Yes. Is this happening? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think it is happening. You see people turning and shifting, heart disposition towards church, or a burden for the lost, or even a burden for ministries or or things to be started and launched that God has been, has been birthing inside of his people as they're drawing close to him. These are all things that I see as indicators, symptoms even, of inevitable revival as we continue to, to stroke the embers and allow that flame to build to be moved by the Holy Spirit, led by the Father, to glorify Jesus Christ. So, yeah, I think that the study of Nehemiah perfectly parallels the rebuilding of a church that is going through a tough season, um, but it also perfectly parallels the need for people to continue to surrender and submit um, to the Lord and to uh, assess oneself as often as possible.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really important, what you were talking about, is that this revival starts at the personal, individual level, yep. because so often it's so easy to see things are happening in the church, or a pastor leaves, and you say, the church needs to fix that. Right, And right. so you're saying instead, individually, we need to look at ourselves and say, what can I do? What sin is holding me back? Hmm. Are you, and you're seeing that happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, we see it happen, and the main areas that I'm talking about is through leadership. Um, a lot of the leaders and the staff and through deacons and men and women, uh, even through some of our small group, these people that are coming together and really uniting under the grace of God and the desire to pursue him wholeheartedly, to, to live a life that he has for us to live today, uh, empowered by him and looking like him. And so uh, that is what gives me hope and that is what excites me about what he's doing um, because I see that all throughout our church, I
0: do. Dr. Yurt mentioned that as they were reading through the law, a lot of the people were confronted with their own sin and were really convicted by it. And and they mourned and they wept in that. And he said, don't mourn. Um, so how does that happen with us practically, where we take that, that mourning, that confronting of our own sin and turn it into something better for us.
1: Right. So so what he's speaking to is in Nehemiah 8, as they sit, and Ezra just reads through the law. Um, and if you go back and listen to Dr. Ewart's message, you'll hear him talk about how long they had church. And he would read for four to five hours. And, uh, and then inevitably what would happen is um, these leaders that were all around him uh, – the Word of God that was read aloud would pierce their hearts and convict them of sin. And they would, they would mourn over their sin because they would see it the way that the Lord does. And that's transformative. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, there's a couple things we got to ask ourselves, right? One, um, do we recognize – how do we see the Word of God? Do we recognize it as His perfect Word? Do, do we have an expectation when we open it for the Holy Spirit to breathe life into it, to reveal to us things that we need to repent from, to reveal the character, the nature of God that we've forgotten, to reveal lies that we're believing or things we've experienced that that really aren't true but we're projecting under our circumstances, right? Are, are we Are we a people that rightly see the Word of God and then therefore— Aren't surprised when we're transformed by merely opening it and reading it. And when we saw these leaders with Nehemiah and Ezra, as we saw them um, just be driven to a mourning state over their sin, uh, I think think it's beautiful. And I think it's an eye-opener for us on how often we go through those motions of just systematically doing Western Christian life Mm -hmm. where – uh, we really have diluted the power of the word, and we haven't. We've taken it off of its authority that it that it truly is, and and we've allowed it to be something that's just supplemental, but not our daily bread. We, we've allowed it to be something that we want to try to do versus something we have to depend on. And so, um, when the people inevitably came to that point, I thought it was so encouraging. Um, so, Tuck, I've got a question for you when. When is the last time for you you've had some of that revelatory moment of, of reading the Word and then actually seeing something rightly, whether that be conviction or um, man, the love of the Father or grace or forgiveness? You know It can be any of these things, but, but when's a time when you mourned or were compelled to shift your perspective through the Word?
0: I'd say pretty recently um, we were we were talking in our small group about what would your life looked at look like if you really just opened your life to Christ and let Him fill you instead of us filling our own time. Hmm. And I said it would look really busy because I'm looking around in in my life right now, and um, I've joined the praise team recently. Uh, my wife has been working in the coffee shop recently. <laughs> Um, We are starting a small group for young adults, college age. Uh, We've started a podcast in the last week or so. Um, And we've been looking at our calendars, and we've stopped using the word busy because busy has a negative connotation to it. And we've started saying that our life is becoming full. And I think that has a good Mm -hmm. connotation to it because when you are filled with good things – your life is good. I mean, we have our family, our, our, our friends here, our mm. church family, and I have never been more full of joy and delight and God than working through and studying what he has planned for mm. myself and for others through me. Mm. That's
1: good. Yeah, there's... there. Uh... Oh, man. I think that uh, there's something so special when you're in a season where He is moving mightily through you and your wife in many different ways, uh, and consistently reminding you of His faithfulness, of His goodness, of His character, of His nature. Um, something for me, uh, I was trying to remember back. Uh, I went to D.C. Uh, a year ago, and uh, and out there, um, there's a there's a praise tent. And the tent does worship 24-7. It's always open. I think it's called uh, David's Tent, something like that. I'll, I'll look it up and check it out. But um, So I was walking the, the Capitol, and I was praying. Um, it was one afternoon, I was walking it, and I was praying. And uh, I came across the tent, and I didn't really know what it was. And so I walked in, and I heard worship music, and I saw a couple people praying. And, uh, and that was really interesting to me. And I came to this large old Bible, and uh, I read a sign that said, um, you mark where you've ended, and you've marked what you've read, Uh, but we're reading through Scripture. So if you want to start, start where the last person finished. And so I jumped in. And I'm standing there, and now I'm alone. So I spend some time praying and worshiping, and then it's just me. So I think my singing may have scared everyone off. But I found myself at the Bible, and they told me to read out loud. The sign did. And so I start reading. And I started reading uh, the vision of uh, Daniel. and um, And as I was reading his prophetic vision of the coming of Christ— I started uh, I started weeping over the scripture and I started I was like reminded and I was challenged and I was convicted and I was <laughs> I, w- I was I was realigned with a perspective that I believe was kingdom and eternal. Um, and uh, that was a incredibly important moment for me that i I will always remember walking in, just reading the Word, being shook to the core um, of passages I've read before. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that moment, the Lord wanted to minister to me in a specific way. And so what I, what I just would encourage us towards is, is recognizing what the Word of God actually is. It, it is the divine, inspired, uh, perfect, inerrant Word of God. It was, it was penned by man. Um, but it was written by God. And so um, something that I think is significantly important is what is your perspective of it when you read it? And if you don't see it rightly, um, then it will it'll probably lack a potency in your life and an impact in your life. Um, and it will be a tool that the Holy Spirit wouldn't be able to use. Uh, he can. He can do anything. but But... You have a higher probability of rightly understanding the word and recognizing its impact on your life. Its transformative impact when we understand it's by Him, and so, and so that's something that I think is is beautiful about uh, and Nehemiah as they were sitting there wrestling with, um, you know, the word and then feeling burdened for their sin. Ultimately, they ended up seeing it uh, the way that God sees their sin and their response to that was. Um, you know, inevitable repentance. And so that's something that I love about what Dr. Ewart
0: preached on. One of the things that really struck me while you were, you were talking is hearing it kind of like for the first time. And mm. I think God speaks to us a lot of times what we need in that moment, like you said, even though we've read it before. For these Israelites that he was talking to, I think it was the first time that they had seen the law at, or, or heard it read. Um, And he was talking about how special it is to have a translation into your own heart language. And I think that in America, a lot of times we get desensitized because we have copies everywhere in every translation that you could ask for from a rap version to something that's so stuffy you can hardly understand it. How How do we as Americans get past that desensitization to actually let it affect us
1: I yeah I think I think that's it I think the only way that you can cut through all of it is rightly seeing it understanding its origin and recognizing its impact that it can have in your life I think that um, I think that's going to impact the type of versions that you read I think it's always important um, to sit down and inspect what versions you read um, because all of these are interpretations of original languages, right? Uh, um, Hebrew and Greek are the primaries, but Aramaic is in two of the Old Testament books. And so as you as you read it, uh, it's, there's, there's a large spectrum as tra- of translations. And I do believe some translations get things wrong. And so um, as you sit in the translations uh, that are good and that are healthy – um, understanding what's word for word versus passage to, or thought by thought in terms of interpreting these languages into our English. Uh, I think that's very important. But on the note of how do we become uh, more aware of it, my, the best way for me is to think through those that have given their lives to give us the Bible that's been interpreted. So if you think through the men and the women that died for the sake of bringing uh, the Bible into English, and if you study those martyrs, I think that there will be a new awareness um, to the value of the book that we have. Um, I also, I would, I would challenge you to read it. <laughs> and as we read it, um, the Holy Spirit will use it in a transformative way, um, and hopefully— he will continue to glorify Jesus through the scriptures that will lead our lives to be transformed. And so as we allow this tool that God's given us to to give us a glimpse of his will, his character, his perfection, um, I think it will grow uh, in the impact that it has on you. Um, So I would say be intentional about the translation, uh, study some history. Uh, of the people that have given their lives and even you know, martyrdom um, for the sake of interpreting it into English itself, um, and then also, uh, man, allow the Lord to use it, and it will grow in uh, in its beauty uh, as your life goes on.
0: Do you think that there is a special something that happens reading it aloud? Because you mentioned in D.C., you read it aloud, and mm-hmm. it had a special effect on you. Um, Dr. Ewart mentioned that, that Ezra was reading it aloud for the people, and then had some leaders um, kind of talking them through the specifics as well, making sure that everyone understood. Do you think that there's something special about reading aloud versus reading to yourself?:
1: I think that there are nature, there, there are aspects of our relationship with God that can be incredibly impactful in community. I, th- I think that that the fact of just like reading it out loud, I don't think there's nothing there's anything very special about that. But reading it in community and dialoguing about the word and sharing what the God is doing, um, I think that those moments, I think that is a spiritual discipline. I think it's a discipline to sit under the teaching of the word of God to orally process and discuss and to navigate what it means for me and what it means for us and, and, and questions that we have. Um, so uh, I wouldn't say that there is something, uh, a unique equation to where it's, it's just better if you read it out loud, uh, but I do think that uh, reading it out loud and discussing it in the open is a beautiful way that the Lord can use it uh, to really shape us to look more like him.
0: Okay. So, talking about being in community, Dr. Ewart mentioned that last week we kicked off um, a new season of small groups. He said we had uh, record numbers of people signing up for the small groups. Um, I know you have a passion for small groups. You've mentioned it many times. Yeah. Um, and I've heard people tell me through the years that they can do church on their own, they can study, they don't need a group. Would you fight against that? Yes,
1: I think it's a fallacy <laughs> i th- I think that again, I think that there's something communal about relationship with God I would say even about existing <laughs> mm-hmm. there there's something about our nature that needs community uh, that needs community with the father that that needs community with others and i I would argue uh, that if if someone believes that they're capable of uh, having a healthy, growing, personal relationship with G- Jesus Christ and look like Christ as a disciple of Christ but not share Christ in community, um, then, then I don't see the Great Commission being fulfilled. I don't really understand what discipleship looks like. I, 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 there are some things that we, we need for other people to call out in us. Mm -hmm. There are some things we need other people to help share that burden or that stress alongside us. There are times where we need to be used in our spiritual gifting to edify the church. And so if we don't think we need the church, then we don't think we need the very thing that Jesus Christ launched and began and prayed for the unity of at the end of his life so there there's a there's a there's a disconnect does that mean every single church does church rightly no no we mess this thing up for Thousands of years we've done things. You know, There's many churches that don't do it right, and there's a lot of ways we need – which is why we need to consistently, habitually assess. Mm -hmm. We need to continue to say, why are we doing what we're doing? What do we need to stop? What do we need to begin? Are we answering the questions? Are we caring for his people? Are we expanding knowledge, saving knowledge of grace? Are we seeing people come to know Christ? Is our context locally being transformed due to our presence as a church? Like what are we doing? These are all the questions that we're asking, right? And then are we intentionally equipping and sending people to do the same thing around the world? From Acts 1.8, are we depending on the Holy Spirit to, to see him move in power in our town to the ends of the earth? And so these are all questions that healthy churches have to be asking as we appropriately handle the Word of God and encourage people – in their personal relationships with Christ, towards a discipleship model uh, that really multiplies uh, believers, and so that's a little bit of soapbox on that. Uh, but on the other end of small groups, uh, there is just so much joy that can come out of community with people, um, and I think that what what is likely going to be missed if the person is trying to go through life not in a small group. Uh, what's going to be missed really is one I don't think they're able to use their spiritual gifting right if if they're aware of their gifting and the way the Holy Spirit desires to move through them to to edify the church um, I't uh, that's an Ephesians four model uh, I, I don't I don't see that being done in them and that's that's sad. Uh, the other side is there are people that are missing out on being edified by that person in a powerful way. And so I think that in order for our body to be healthy, each of its members do need to be contributing and working towards the goal, the vision that that church has. So the question is, um, have you uh, are you at a church where you just don't believe in the vision, right? If you're at a church where you just don't believe In the mission and the vision of that congregation and what they're desiring to accomplish, then and that is leading you to not really want to be involved and just attend and leave, then you are missing out significantly on what it means to be a part of the bride and what the Lord has for you in your life as a believer. And so I would encourage you to find another church one that you can be sold out to, one that you can understand the vision and be able to contribute towards. And it may not be perfect as long as they teach the Word of God, uh, as they as they, they teach the true gospel of Jesus Christ, um, as long as as they're outwardly focused and uh, you have peace with the way that they're structured and the way that they operate and make decisions, I would just encourage you to find somewhere to get plugged in so that you can be a part of a small group. Um, also, with our church, our church is big. And so a lot of people come through our doors and leave. And, um, and they're, they're, I believe that true church cannot be experienced in crowds and multitudes. I, I think it must be experienced in the smaller uh, – by the 12 um, or, or these smaller numbers of people uh, that come together and connect. Um, so if we want to see Acts 2 – lifestyle of the early church coming to fruition, then then we have to be committed uh, and start with a small group. And that's the space that I think is the main vehicle that the Lord is wanting to use at our church right now as we shift uh, into this new vision that we're working towards. So that's a little bit about really my perspective and my convictions and the burden I have for small group ministry. Um, so my wife and I, we lead uh, this uh it's kind of the, the age and range is young adults, but it, it's married, um, and we're really what we are, home builders. Uh, so if it's anyone from, you know, married to not married, but with children uh, that is really under the ages of like 45, uh, that's really where we're at. It's not a singles ministry. It's not a specifically a young adults ministry. But it's really focused on people that are uh, building a home um, and really trying to create relationships alongside each other with some wiser, older people also speaking into it. And so, Tuck, you and your wife are in our group, (laughs) and I've gotten to hear some of your testimony about what small groups has done in your marriage and in, in your relationship with the church and the Lord. And so, I think I would love to hear you kind of share a little bit um, about how small groups and your view of small groups uh, has impacted really your life.
0: Yeah. So when we first came to Temple, I remember walking through the doors, being a little overwhelmed. This is one of the largest churches I've been to personally. Um, And within the first few minutes, Bennett, I think it was you yourself walked up to us um, chatted with us, said, you're joining our small group. That's right. And it handed me your phone number on a sticky note. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then within, within a few minutes after that, your wife walked up and was talking to Chelsea and said, you need to join our small group. And um, it's a way of making a large church smaller to where you can be with the people that you want to live life with. And it has become, that small group has become for us, our second family completely. We have people in that that small group that um, have become godparents to yeah. our children. Yeah. Uh, we have people there that we will turn to in times of difficulties. Uh, when we had pregnancy difficulties, health problems, um, the small group was the first people that we told and immediately we were surrounded and prayed over, and it went well. And I think it was God working through our small group and working through us to bring out our children safely and calmly. Um, So we found people to do life with and build those relationships, um, and they have just surrounded us, and I believe that we've had people that we can surround as well. Um, And then out of that, you know, where we have gotten into a place where we feel comfortable and loved, when you're in that safe kind of a place, you begin to flourish. And my wife and I and our family have flourished to the point where we're now turning around, and, and instead of saying, what can church do for us, we're now turning and saying, what can we do for our church? How can we create this in other people's lives. So I mentioned it briefly earlier. Within the next month, we are starting a young adult, especially college-age small group, so that we can help that age group find people to do life with, because there are so many life changes that happen during that time and that age that we want church to be able to speak to them, because they're getting spoken to from their friends their family, their college, and it's not always a positive message that they're hearing, that if we can give them a place, a safe space like we had when we came here, I think it can be life-changing for people in small groups in general, but especially for the, the college age. I think it's important that we note, Chelsea and I were talking yesterday, God doesn't call us to be perfect. We look at some of the giants of the Bible of the David and the Saul and uh, all of the people that God uses, they are flawed. They are killers, murderers, um, tax collectors, and these are the people that God chooses because he says, I want you to do better, I want you to be part of a community, I want you to love me and follow me as best as you can. And when we have that heart change, and we're working in a community, we will see amazing things come through us.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Uh, I love it. I love it. And it's almost coming to a point of just recognizing who we are, who we are as individuals, uh, by needing God, um, and then who we are as a community by all of us need Him. None of us are perfect, and there's this there's this there's this. Uh, I guess, this levity to that reality to where we don't have to fake it and we can come straight up with our fears, our doubts, our pains, our struggles, our addictions, our frustrations, our arguments. And if we have a, that safe place that you described, as beautiful, that safe place to where we can burden, um, we can share those burdens. Um, I think that's where we get to experience the encouragement that way that we may be forgetting. And so at, at our church, you know, one of the big things that we first stepped into is, is, is who are we as, as kingdom seekers at our church? Who are we as, as men and women that are seeking first the kingdom of God? And these are seven things that we came up with. And, 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 one of, and they're all rooted in Scripture. So um, really the Lord came up with them. But, um, but these are things that really identify us. So we worship God. We pray continually. We live by the Bible we share joyfully, we meet together. That's a lot of what we're talking about right here, is this mm-hmm. desire to not just hang out, but koinonia um, and, 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 and fellowship in a way that is both edifying and encouraging. Um, we serve others and we make Jesus known. These seven virtues of a kingdom seeker, of a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple here at our church, we do these seven things. This is the byproduct of a sold-out life to Him. And so, my encouragement to listeners or people that maybe listened to the message but really missed the pivotal part uh, of of the community that was gathering and not forsaking the gathering, but sitting under the word. And 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 repenting uh, alongside each other and enjoying and then partinging together and celebrating uh, the the feast of the of the tabernacles right and they were they were they were practicing these things that were um, really a celebration of life and so that's what I love about the story of Nehemiah and even your story is, is whenever we step into spaces out of obedience maybe a little uncomfortable. But in faith, in faith, we step out. The Lord will bless it, and, and there will be more opportunities to celebrate and potentially even more ministry that will be birthed through it as he continues to move and lead. And so that's an aspect of, of your story and, and how that directly aligns with our church, um, with where we're heading and where, we're, where, where we've been Um, and I believe there are many people that really can testify the same way that you just did.
0: I do want to call out, um, because I think it's important to give some praise where praise is due, Um, I did note during the sermon that uh, Dr. Ewart brought out that the leaders of the church, he brought up with him, the leaders of the congregation, and they realized that they needed to make a change, and they were studying on their own, and finding the, the places where they could make beneficial changes. I know that you uh, and Dr. Ewart have been leading the staff here through a lot of different studies and a lot of changes. Can you share any of those with us? Yeah,
1: I think that um, big picture is we start with every single thing in the mirror. So, yes, we acknowledge the adjustments that we need to make. We know the problems that we do have. Sometimes we don't know the problems and we understand later that problems are there. Um, But big picture is it always starts with a personal assessment and a uh, really a self, uh, uh, spending time with the Lord for him to reveal the spaces that aren't completely surrendered to him. So our desire for staff and for leadership of our church is to start dependent on prayer. And so our prayer lives have got to be realigned. Um, we need to be surrendered. We need to, we need to become dependent on prayer and, and, and ask big things for him to do in our lives. Um, as we go through and as we start really assessing where we're at as individuals in these different lanes that we can see through Acts chapter 2— Um, that that described disciples of the early church. Uh, Part of it was our personal assessment on where we would grade ourselves in these categories of practical application when it comes to personal evangelism, when it comes to sharing uh, our generosity uh, as as families, not just as a church but as individuals. Um, And so as we walked through that, we did an assessment right off the bat. And then months later, we did another assessment to follow up to see how we're doing on it. Uh, we've started incorporating annual reviews where we sit down and we've, we've brought in a lot of these things that we're learning throughout this assessment process into that dialogue that we have every year with our direct reports. And so we write these things up. We describe not only the difficult things that are going on in our lives but also prayer requests and praises that we have. And so our desire and our prayer is to a holistically encourage, affirm, and speak life into our individuals as leaders, while also make decisions of realigning job descriptions with purpose and passion, with our vision of where we're headed. So we're in this space right now, unfortunately, uh, to where we're in a holding pattern in some areas, um, because we have, we just brought on our uh, pastor search team last Sunday, they were just voted on last Sunday. And so as we kind of are in this holding pattern as what the Lord has for us next, um, we're just prayerful that we as individuals look more like him today than we ever have in our entire lives. And if, if that, that, that is terrifying to say, but that is, that is our prayer, is that we look more like him. We see him rightly, we see sin rightly. And we lead his church in a way that he would lead it better today than we ever have in our entire lives. And so that's a goal that we have as individuals, but also it's something that we have to hold each other accountable toward. Um, So that's some of the important things that we're walking through uh, as as a church and as leadership. And I think giving that safe space to be able to say, hey, this is where I failed and this is where I stink. And this is where I struggle, and this is where I'm quick to operate in the flesh, and these are lies that I'm quick to believe, Um, and at least giving space for us to even be able to have those confrontational conversations if those are blind spots in our lives. Um, These are all important things that we've had to implement over the last year.
0: Well, and I think it's extremely important to note that 99% of what you just said is not just for the leadership. It's for every individual to be able to look at ourselves and say, where are my weaknesses? That's right. Where can I grow? Can I do an assessment? And what you were describing sounds almost exactly like a small group (laughs) where you have that relationship with the other people that you're working with and holding each other accountable and seeking to grow. That's right,
1: yeah. And so if we can't lead into a space to where we can be healthy as a congregation, um, we can't take anyone or lead anyone anywhere that we have not been. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot of this last six months has been ripping off these layers of pain, frustration, even sin, uh, as we've been really allowing the Holy Spirit to cultivate us as leaders um, in a way that uh, really would glorify Him.
0: So we have a question from an anonymous member. And you can send your questions to templetalk at temple.church, or you can visit our website at temple.church to submit them anonymously. Uh, But, Bennett, we have the question that says This entire series so far has been leading up to the theme of restoration. But how do we find restoration in a God that we feel like has been absent or turned his back on us? How do we learn to trust his track record when we're in the valley? I was thinking about some of my friends and the horrible things that they're going through with their families. How do you, in that moment, trust God with your whole heart? When you're in the deepest valley, how do you see that promise? And what do you say to your friends when they're there? If, you're, uh, if you have a friend wanting to help or a Christian wanting to give encouragement, how can you provide restoration to those people?
1: Mm, this is so good. This is so good. And, it, and my immediate answer would uh, directly parallel some of the study that we just did in Nehemiah 8, okay? Because I think it comes down to truth. And I think if we rightly see truth and understand it, that will carry us through the valleys. Even when we don't see it, we don't feel it, uh, we don't think it, if we know what is true, that can be our anchor, and that can be our uh, tethering rod. So um, let me answer the, the first question, um, because this is a this is a spot that, we often find ourselves in, whether it be by season, and some people find themselves in that season right now. Um, but how how do we even reconcile this idea of restoration with a God uh, that is absent or we feel like he's turned his back on us? Um, this is what I would challenge you to do. I would challenge you uh, to not seek restoration or to be rebuilt or to be... Um, I wouldn't seek the result of knowing him. I would in this season seek to better understand him because if there's a a perspective that he has turned his back, then there's a disconnect with his very nature and who he is. If there is a perspective that he is absent or doesn't care for you as a person, as an individual that is suffering, then there is a disconnect with the character of the father that we see in scripture. And and so I, I would I would seek to, I would look at, okay, I feel this way, which I understand a lot of us feel that way in different times, but I feel this way because I believe this about God. Now, what does the word of God say about who God is? And does that align with what I'm feeling or the way I'm interpreting my circumstances? And I would argue that if Talking with other people that are believers in Jesus Christ, being a part of that group, and and reading the Word of God, and, and seeking and hungering and thirsting for an intimacy with Him, uh, I think that you will learn that we learn. We are reminded that that He is present, and, and He pursues, and He is loving. And he cares. What burdens us burdens him. Like he 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 is an intimate father. He is Abba, right? So, your first question. This is a big one that that a lot of people feel. And um, and I would say it's either because we don't really understand who he is, or we love sin so much that it's hindering our relationship with him. Um, But I always default to it. May we may not really know him. Because what's going to end up happening is the more we do know Him, the more we'll see things like Him, the more we'll desire to see the world as He sees it, and the more we'll hate sin as a result from it. So it's not about behavior modification. I would say it's more about um, pursuing a deeper level of intimacy with the Father. Um, and then the next question in this is that this person gave is how do you how do you learn to trust His track record when we're in the valley? And so I would, I would look to character studies in the Bible. I would, I would look um, to – oh, man. There are many – I mean the, the default that everyone goes to is Job, right, um, when it comes to going through trials and tri- tri- tribulation. But uh, I would also look at David and I would also look at Joseph, Joseph's story for the majority of his – majority of his life. He was in slavery, in prison. Um, he was in captivity. Uh, he was in a well. He, I mean he was – he was a majority of his life, he, he was poorly, grossly mistreated. Everything seemed so unfair, air quotes inserted. And um, to see how he navigated it I think can give us a footprint as to how maybe we can desire to see it that way too um, because – what we may feel in the moment we don't fully comprehend what he's doing in totality right we're finite we're we're limited i'm a a six foot four perspective where he's eternal and on high and all things are beneath his feet and so i can only know what i can perceive unless he reveals it to me and so i'm i'm seeking to depend on him i'm i'm asking him to grow my faith i'm saying i don't see it i don't believe it i don't even think you're doing anything and i think you've abandoned me like be honest with him he's got broad shoulders he can take it right and so just have a natural dialogue with him about this stuff. Um, but also recognize that uh, his track record—he is faithful, and he is good, and he is the Abba Father that will run after you as the prodigal returns home. He is the Son of God that was sent to ch- and chose Calvary, even in your worst state. And so there's there's it is from love that he sent his son, and it was and it was from love of you. That he sent his son. So if you're if you find yourself in a valley, recognize uh, that one that is temporal, uh, and two, what is eternal? Um, God has hoped for, and so that's just personal, right? But then the question is: All right, so I can have these conversations, I can do that, but what about the people that are suffering alongside of me? What about my friends or my families that are going through times that are just unbearable, right? How do I love them and support them? Um, Some of the things that I'm not the best at but what I I, I know that are important is one, um, presence is significant, not always knowing the right thing to say. And so being silent and present is always more important uh, than saying the right thing all the time Um, and so making sure that you're present is key. Uh, And also a thing that I believe is so important is a role that I have is to speak what is true over a situation. So I speak prophecies that the Lord reveals in Scripture over my friends that are struggling. I I speak to the hope that we have in Christ. I speak to what God can do and what Christ communicated as he taught through the Gospels. I I speak to how how Paul – uh, and Peter and even James, as as these writers of the New Testament wrote uh, these these epistles to these churches to encourage and to affirm and to hold strong and to endure the persecution that they're going through, um, and so. If I have a relationship with this person to where they know that I'm not being a Bible thumper or I'm not being uh, condescending, I'm just merely reminding them and encouraging them about the Word of God and the hope that they have that He is ever present. Go to Psalms. Read through the entire book of Psalms as we see almost every human emotion processed with the Creator, right? And, and, and so I would just encourage you to sit in these texts and encourage your friend or your sibling or your family member um, not to quit being sad but to process it at their own speed, at their own pace. Um, but remind them if they're believing lies that the enemy is using, they're not abandoned. He has not turned his back. He has not forsaken them. He loves them. And while we may not see that, while we may be in the valley, the Lord is our shepherd. And so he will lead us. And we have the Holy Spirit. And the role the Holy Spirit has in my life is significant when it comes to giving hope uh, in difficult seasons. Sometimes he's been the only thing that I can depend on. Right? And so... This question, man, it breaks my heart because I know so many of us, one, can relate with it, um, but the other side of it is I think every single one of us can think of one person right now uh, that is feeling this, and so, man, I would encourage, encourage, encourage as a friend or as an individual, start everything with prayer. We pray continually. We submit things to the Lord. We know that as we surrender these things, as we bring these these. these requests to the Father in boldness because of what Christ did, um, we can in confidence know that He hears us, and He knows us, and He sees us. And so from my perspective, man, starting with prayer, ending with prayer, sprinkling the truth of the Word of God, encouraging, affirming, and, and maybe even doing a little journaling as well uh, is a healthy way to process some of
0: these dark valleys that we find ourselves in. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. If you have a question, please reach out at templetalk at temple.church or on our website at temple.church. Bennett, as we close, what encouragement is on your heart uh, for our listeners this week?
1: Man, my big thing right now is, uh, so a majority of our listeners right now are temple people. Uh, And so I would just strongly encourage you um, to just enjoy what the Lord is doing right now at our church. See how he is moving and ask ask him. Ask him, Lord, what do you have for me? Let none of us poorly steward the season that we find ourselves in at Temple. This is an opportunity that the Lord is desiring to move in a powerful way, not just as a church, but it as a church through the people that make up the church. Read Ephesians 4, pray that, say, Lord, as a saint, how have you gifted me? What is the role that you want me to do? Because there are ministries and there are people, there are miracles that God's desiring to do through temple, through the people of temple um, to see him be glorified. And so – uh, my encouragement would be, man, draw close and celebrate. Celebrate what God is doing. Celebrate and pray for this pastor search team. Celebrate in small groups. Uh, celebrate as we come into a season of prayer and fasting and thanksgiving in the month of November. Celebrate as we march towards uh, Emmanuel, Christ coming in Christmas. Like Celebrate all of these beautiful festivities um, that we can and uh, do it in community because that's where it's beautiful.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Bennett. Thank you so much for all of our listeners uh, for joining us for Temple Talk today. We will be back next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. We hope that digging into God's Word together has enriched your perspective and brought encouragement. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, feel free to email them at templetalk at temple.church. You can also visit our website at temple.church for more resources. We pray God will continue to bless you and your loved ones as you seek him in scripture. We'll see you next time on Temple Talk.